welcome to the Shows Well Podcast. You know who I am and what I do. Rob Shaw, a.k.a. The Pod God, a.k.a. Harry Potter. Today we are going to talk about the playoff series and how they're going, as well as I'll take some mailbag questions. Uh, sort of just kind of jump right into it, as always. Tell a friend to tell a friend so I can become your favorite athlete's favorite podcaster or your girl's favorite podcaster. You never know what cuz will do. Like, it's me. Um, Jokes aside, today is Mother's Day, and I want to give a giant shout out to all the mothers out there, but um, particularly my mom. Man, my mom really sacrificed and gave it up for me and my siblings. Oh, man, like, nobody's perfect, but that that woman strives for it. And it's not like we haven't had our moments where we've butted heads, probably because our personalities can be very similar. But she made sure I went to good schools. I've gone through custody battles for more time with my children and literally every step of the way my mother has been my biggest supporter even in times where I wasn't able to appreciate it and might have acted like a dick bag like let's just call a spade a spade there were times where she had my best interest at heart and I couldn't get out of my own way as playing a victim in some shit that I helped cause. So her always having my back and my best interest at heart is always amazing. And I've watched this woman do spectacular things. She's owned multiple businesses from just as long as I can remember. I'm 32 and my mom has always had her hand in multiple streams of income and multiple entrepreneurial ideas. Like I'd assume that is where a lot of my creative comes from. Like the part of me that wants to do podcasts and interviews and and, uh, videos that probably comes from my mom's ability to work a regular job, just like I do and then still pursue her dreams afterwards. Like she was never too tired to go after what she wanted. So I do, I just wanted to start this podcast by saying how much I love and appreciate my mother on this very special Mother's Day that Hallmark made up. With that said, we are in the middle of the second round and things are starting to heat up. On Friday, we had Philadelphia get Joel Embiid back, and they got a 20-point win over the Miami Heat. It was a real collective effort from everybody. Like, just um, no, no. Okay, Rob, let's try and talk. You got this, big dog. No 76er player had more than 21 points. Danny Green was 7 of 9. Your role players play better at home. That will be a consistent theme that we'll talk about today. Um, Danny Green might as well have been 0 for the playoffs before um, Game 3. And he buries 7 triples in Game 3. Tyrese Maxey has 21 points and really sort of imposes his will on this game like Miami's like making their push and then like it's a big maxi third quarter it's fly I I enjoyed that Joel Embiid in his return 18 points 11 rebounds but you just felt his presence Philly looked like a different team James Harden had 17 points and eight assists to go with uh six rebounds Eight rebounds, six assists, and seven turnovers. Like, the the way he's giving up the ball is still problematic. But some of these are more aggressive turnovers. Like, hey, I'm trying to break somebody down, and then I'm trying to make a tough pass. It's not the... It wasn't nearly as lackadaisical as we saw in games one and two. 
So Joel just makes a giant difference for them. Tobias Harris, um, nine points, ten rebounds, eight assists. He had a triple single, or almost a triple single, but was really not that far off from a triple double. Just like good, impactful basketball. Um, they shortened the bench rotation. Um, 19 minutes for Thibault and Paul Reed gets 11. And those are the only two in the off the bench in double figures. Eight minutes for uh, George Niang. Eight minutes for Shake Milton. Six for uh, Korkmaz. Like they're, he played a really short rotation. It was essentially six guys. And then, like, Paul Reed to give breathers for uh, JoJo, who had to be out of shape just because he took a week off. He has a fractured orbital bone. He was in concussion protocol on top of um, the finger injury. Like, it's been rough for Embiid, but he's just been hooping through it. And... While we're on that subject, actually, former 76er Ben Simmons announced he was having back surgery and you goofy motherfuckers was out there like, see, nobody should be making fun of Ben Simmons. He was really hurt. His back was in really bad shape. Do you know what it's like to play with a bad back? This nigga hasn't played in almost a fucking year and a half. Like, by the time surgery is done, we'll be... A lot closer to two years than we are one year. And if his back was that bad, then he should have never given the impression to Nets Brass as well as his teammates that he was going to play in the playoffs. Like, if the back is that bad, yo, I'm shutting it down. It's that bad. It's this... It's this where he's... Oh, I was I was definitely gonna play, and then I, I had a, a minor setback. If if you couldn't play game three, you couldn't play game four. If you could play game four, you probably could have played game three. Like not much is going to change, and it just feels like this dude doesn't love hoops. I hope I didn't say all this on the last pod, and if I did, like I'm still here to double down. Like I understand mental health is important, and we don't know what everybody's going through. But also from the outside looking in, he just gives me the vibe of somebody who is more into the basketball lifestyle than he is actually basketball. I guess the best way to put it is if he wasn't in the NBA, would he still play basketball for fun? Like there's millions of us that will never make a dime off of the game. And we spend hot summers in the gym still trying to get better or There's a pickup run and we can't wait to get there. Or we play in all these men's leagues when we know an injury could really fuck up our livelihood because we're not getting paid for this. And then there's this guy making millions and he just won't step on the court. So that, like that, I find that difficult. Like the way I love the game, you're being paid and given an opportunity to play it at the highest level on top of, like, the all-world talent he has, because make no mistakes about it, that is a very, very talented basketball player. He just doesn't seem to really give a shit about basketball. Um, so, sorry that I went on that little tangent. We can get back to Miami and Philly. I was going into game three, and I just thought Miami had too many dogs, too many dudes that that just want it and want to fight and get after it for Philly to win. And then Joel Embiid came back and was just really good. And like all the pieces to the puzzle just sort of fit with Joel Embiid. Would I like to see James Harden still play better? Yes, I, I think anybody would. And one of the mailbag questions we get is about his contract and some other people and like we're going to talk about it because it's a real question at this point or it might not even be a real question at this point what to do jimmy butler um had 33 points and he was really the only one for the heat to get it going like tyler hero has 14 on 5 of 15 but like you just need 
so just like your role players on the home team are going to be better sometimes in order to win on the road you need one of your role players to have an out-of-body experience or just a better game than anticipated on the road well miami just didn't get that and they didn't even get that from some of what i would consider their stars like Bam plays 33 minutes, puts up nine shots, and grabs me three rebounds. Like, that that's just unacceptable from Bam, particularly when Embiid comes back. Like, this is a guy who I'd assume one day would like to be defensive player of the year. When one of the league's MVP candidates comes back, you can't go completely... MIA because one you need to make him guard on the other end because guarding people is a lot more tiring than letting them just go crazy on offense like you can tire out on offense but nobody's ever like yo I'm too tired to shoot you get tired being in a defensive stance like when the guy's consistently attacking you and making you dig and play you get tired that's what um, a lot of the Suns not the Suns fans a lot of Mavs fans were complaining about how Phoenix was attacking Luka too much Nigga, what? This is fucking basketball. What are you talking about? Sorry, needed a drink of water real quick. So that series is 2 1 uh, in favor of Miami, and that next game is actually at 8 p.m. today, um, Mother's Day, Sunday, May 8th. So by the. Maybe some of you will get to listen to this before that game. I would actually really enjoy that. Um, the other game that played Friday night was Suns-Mavs. That is also now 2-1. And look at the theme. Another big game from a role player. Or from Just role players playing better at home. It's something that's always talked about. This is a prime example of that. This is... Luka Doncic isn't even the leading scorer for the Mavs in this game. In games in the first two games, he had to put up damn near 40 to stay competitive. But Jalen Brunson really picks it up. Uh, there was a stat before the series started that Brunson had scored 20 in each playoff game, but had never scored 20 against Phoenix. I talked about this last pod. Um, he did not reach 20 points in either of the two losses in Phoenix. They get back to Dallas, a little bit of home cooking. And Brunson is probably just one step above a role player, but he has 28 points. He's 10 of 21. But more important than that, he's just way more aggressive. Like, you just felt Brunson had the ball a little bit more. And when Luka was in foul trouble, it was nice that Brunson had established a rhythm for himself and could keep going. And Brunson was playing New York City-style hoops. Like... Like, you know dad used to be a New York Knickerbocker because the way Brunson was playing, Brunson was playing, yo, I'm going to hit you before you hit me on this drive. He blasted Devin Booker into the basket stanchion. Did the same thing to Chris Paul. Like, on the drive, Jalen Brunson was initiating contact, and he's he's small, but he's strong, and he was he'd hit you, shake you off, layup and it was just a physical brand of basketball it was yo i'm gonna hit you way before you can hit me because i don't want you bumping me off my spot i'm gonna bump you off of your spot and create separation between the two of us and he did an elite job of that reggie bullock um who has one of the fastest releases in the league I actually think he would just make more shots if he slowed it down just a little bit. Because, like, the second it touches his fingertips, it is on target towards the rim. Um, he hit today. He was 4 of 10. Uh, Spencer Dimwitty didn't hit. And he played 24 minutes. But you, j- you need that kind. Dimwitty and Brunson are just so essential to the Mavs being able to win because when they're playing that means Luka doesn't have to do everything when you look at the rest of the Mavs roster there's a bunch of guys who need you to create for them and like that's how Luka winds up doing everything at one point um I don't even remember what game it was I want to say it was game two 
it was one minute, 40 seconds left in the first quarter. And like they dropped the stat that Luca, the Mavs have 21 points and Luka Doncic has scored or assisted on 19 of them. That that's just such a giant workload for one person to actually be effective. It's we've seen LeBron struggle with that type of workload. Um, James Harden struggled with it in Houston. It's not only is it hard for that person physically, like the physical demands on your body, but it's also really hard for your other players that are that are rhythm based. Like basketball is a game of rhythm to begin with, so. Your your catch and shoot guys might be fine, especially if they're getting a steady diet of hey Luca breaks it down and he swings it to me. So Maxi Kleber, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, those guys should be fine because they're they don't need to bounce the ball to be effective. But like Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie, they need the ball, and I think it's important for them to have it because they can also play make for those non-creators like the Bullocks, the Cleavers, the Davis Bertans, like all those shooters, you can play make for them. Uh, Josh Powell, the the 6'9 finisher, like it doesn't have to be Luca creating all those opportunities for everybody. Brunson really needs to be consistent in how he plays and it'll just it opens up a world more of opportunities for them. Brunson was able to keep the ship floating when when Luca picked up that fifth foul. So that was that was a really good game. It wasn't a great Chris Paul game on his 37th birthday. And it also wasn't a great Booker game. Their leading scorers, Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder doesn't do much for me. I would very much rather some of he played 35 minutes cam johnson played 15 i'd like that to be split a little bit more evenly and personally i'd probably like it to be i'd probably less than evenly i'd rather have cam johnson in there i think he's a better shooter and i think he understands he's just more in control like sometimes jay crowder takes shots and you're like dog that was never you. You you were never supposed to be pump fake, two dribbles, through the legs, spin, jump shot, man. Like, that was never your role, dog. You want to put the ball on the deck? Fine. Pump fake, two dribbles into a pull-up jump shot or swing it. But nev- I, I never want to see Jay Crowder get in his bag. And, and sometimes he takes shots like, Jay Crowder, one more, one more. That guy has an open look. And he's like, nah, I'm Jay Crowder. I'll shoot it. He he doesn't do much for me, and I understand he's a good player, and some and every team needs a little bit of that craziness, and he does bring that to Phoenix. He brings that, yo, nobody's gonna touch my guys, nobody's gonna be physical with them. He a hundred and ten percent is that type of player for them. But sometimes I I just I like the stability of Cam Johnson, like he's gonna give effort defensively. He's a good shooter. When he attacks closeouts, he's trying to put people in the basket. But I think Phoenix got a tad complacent. Luka is good enough that I would have wanted to punch Luka. I'd like to be up 3-0 on him. Because now they got a little bit of confidence. And luca was unbelievable like he was just so good you couldn't there wasn't much they could do with him and when he gets help from those other guys particularly jalen brunson well now this is a scary team and it's a team that thinks they can beat you and they know they have another home game and the the box score says that this was a nine point game this was not this was an ass whooping like, they were dragging Phoenix for a large part of this game, and then, like, it got close towards the end, or close enough that it's only nine. But that doesn't tell the real story. An adjustment I'd like to see is... Well, I thought Luka picked it up on defense. There was a lot of talk about him being attacked. Your boy Nick Wright got on there... And was just saying stupid shit like 
So my brother sends me a clip because I didn't see it. My brother Yo sends me a clip of Nick Wright saying that the Suns attacking Luca in the pick and roll was gimmicky. My nigga, if you're gonna take these national media jobs and not watch the games, just say that shit. Like, you're taught from a very young age to look for mismatches. I can vividly remember in third grade in gym class, the teacher saying, hey, we run pick and rolls or we we set picks to create mismatches. I remember that from third grade. Now, why the fuck wouldn't we be doing this at the highest level of basketball? Your favorite player, Nick Wright, is LeBron James. LeBron is the king of hunting mismatches. He did it to Steph Curry in all those finals. Like, oh, this is who Steph's guarding? Have Steph's man come set the screen. It's the Suns do it at a very high level. And yes, they did it to uh, a more extreme extent where they did it for about a quarter and a half. But that's what you're supposed to do in high level basketball. You're supposed to, uh, we run these things in men's league. If, if I'm the fifth best player on my team and the team is playing man to man and their fifth best defender is guarding me, I'm going to screen for our best player. So now their best player is now guarding me, our worst player and their worst defender is now guarding our best player. That is just smart, logical basketball. We've, we've called that a million things. We call it, Hey, find the weirdo. Oh, so, and so sometimes you just go at the weirdo, but other times when you know, Hey, you got to get a bucket, you, you make sure that that weirdo winds up on your best player. Um, it, it's, I guess the official term is hunting. You are hunting out the mismatch or the matchup you like. Luca is very good. He needs to compete defensively or else they will continue to hunt him. I thought in game three, um, he did a better job on the initial attack. Like when they make their initial move, that's where he gave that effort and it allows your team time to set up. He, when Luca doesn't give the effort and he gets blown by on like the first dribble and no move, it's, it's too fast for everybody to rotate. If he can give like that initial three or four second burst, it allows people to get into position. But to say that hunting people in the screen, screen and roll is gimmicky makes me feel like you dudes just didn't touch basketballs. Like, you, it doesn't even make sense. Like, we're going to... This is a game of strategy. You're going to... You find something that works and you go at it a million times until somebody stops it. And ugh, I just I just thought that that was so corny that he would get on TV and fix his face to say some shit like that, knowing we watched, knowing that forget who we've watched do it. That's just smart basketball. It's this isn't this isn't a stupid person's game at the highest level. You should be thinking the game. You should be thinking it very fast, but you should be thinking it. And coaches should be making adjustments in playoff games. So in game two, Monty Williams made the adjustment of, hey, until Luka gets a stop, we're going to attack him every single trip down in pick and roll. And it was Jason Kidd's job to make an adjustment or reach out to Luka and make it make Luka understand, hey, you need to be better, not just as a defender, but as our leader. They need to see you give this kind of effort. Um, the other games, um, yesterday's Saturday games, um, we got one really good one, and then we got an ass whooping. The Grizzlies got 30 balls. We'll start with that. And they were, like, they tried to hang around. At half, it's relatively close. And then it just keeps getting worse. The... The elite shooting from the Warriors is everywhere. Jonathan Kaminga gets a start, and he has 18 in his first playoff start. Jordan Poole continues to just be on a... Is it a bender, or is this just who he is? 
Like, I, I feel like some of it is he's locked in and he's on a tear and he's finding matchups he likes. But also, it's been 27 consistently. Like, let's just read dude's playoff game log. Game one versus Denver, 30 ball. Game two, 29. Game three, 27. Look, he has a little bit of a rough patch. He has 11, and then he has eight in uh, games four and five. Then he gets to Memphis, and he's right back on his bullshit. 31 in game one on the road. 20 in game two. Gets back to uh, Oakland for a little home cooking. 27. Like, the dude is just locked in and getting shit done. And then... Otto Porter showed up. Steph Curry has a 30 ball. Clay has 20. Like, there's... This is just an attack. How many guys in double figures? Is it six? Otto Porter with 13. Jordan Poole with 27. Andrew Wiggins with 17. Kaminga, 18. Clay, 21. Steph, 30. <coughs> That's really tough. And then you have... Morant has 34, and they really can't do anything with him. It looked like he tweaked his knee on a play late in the game where Jordan Poole is reaching in for the ball and grabs his leg. I don't think this is malicious and had any – I don't think uh, Poole meant to do anything. I just think it's part of the game, and it happened. But Morant has 34. Desmond Bain has 16. And they just need more, I think, what – I think the Grizzlies are missing a wing who can put it on the floor and create for himself consistently. Like Kyle Anderson does that, but Kyle Anderson does that from a role player level. I think they need a bigger wing that's a little bit of an upgrade over Anderson. Like the things Anderson does is absolutely fine, but I need... Hmm. Uh, these players are always hard to find. Like, like an Andrew Wiggins type would be really good for them. Like uh, a sort of do-it-all wing who fills in in certain spaces as a shot creator, but you don't need it from him all the time. And then our last one is this Celtics game is a really good game. The last play is obviously going to draw a lot of controversy. To me, this looked like a clear three-shot foul for Marcus Smart. I thought he should have been to the line for three. Uh, They call it the swing-through, rip-through move. It didn't look like that. It looked like he came off the pick and was going to shoot and knew he was going to be grabbed and fouled and just put it on the rim like you're supposed to. This seemed like a three-point shooting foul to me. I don't know if you guys agree. I'd love for somebody to tweet me their thoughts on the situation. But then Smart goes to the line, knocks down the first, has to miss the second one, and puts it off the rim perfectly where he gets it back. He just misses the tap. And then uh, I think uh, Rob Williams gets a tap and misses. And Horford gets two tries. But the second one comes after the buzzer. And that was literally all she wrote. Drew Holiday was really good. And he was the aggressive Drew Holiday that we're always asking for. Like the one that, yo, Drew, you're really good. If you would just be in fight mode more often. Well, he was in fight mode. He took damn near 30 shots, which... I wish I would have looked it up before the pod. My guess is my guess is he hasn't taken 30 shots more than five times this season. And I, I feel like five is, is a high number for him. Giannis, once again, 42 points, 12 rebounds, eight assists. You really just can't stop that guy. He's... Uh, my friend Justin Horver suggested that you do the old Popovich strategy with him and where you let one dude just go absolutely ape shit and go crazy, but don't let the rest of the team get off. And that might need to be the solution for Giannis. Like, yet let Giannis have 50 and just stay home on shooters and 
because even if he has 50, they need another 50 points at minimum to compete. Like, you need 100 to win. Can you... Like, you're going to give up points. Like, other guys are going to make shots. But if you can keep everybody in that 8 to 12 range, um, like, you don't let Drew get going. You don't let Brooke Lopez uh, get dumping post-ups and corner threes. You minimize what Bobby Portis and Grayson Allen does. Then you probably have a chance. Because I don't think there's you're really going to stop Giannis. But if he's going to have 40 and then 8 assists... It's too much. It's too much. He's creating too much opportunities for the other guys while still getting his. And since I don't think you can find a way to stop him from getting his, you really need to jam up those role players. So those are our games. Um, Once again, Jason Tatum. It's bad. They waste a good Al Horford game, like 22 from Al Horford. You really can't waste those games, if we're being perfectly honest. Tatum is 4 for 19, 0 for 6 from deep. Like, I know it's growing pains of the young guys, but if the Celtics want to win this series, Tatum and Brown need to lock in for these last couple games and can't can't just have the poopers that they've been having. Like, game one, they stunk. Game two, Jalen Brown comes out and he's like, he's just ready for war. That game three, Jason Tatum brings a, like brings the empty clip. They just can't have that if they want to beat this Bucks team. <coughs> Other basketball things we're going to talk about. Um, Mad Dog Rosillo made a comment about America's sick of Draymond Green. Shut up and play basketball. Yo, they never say that shit to white people. They just never say that to white athletes. And part of it is the role of the black athlete within the black community. Uh, Black athletes and entertainers, particularly athletes, are looked to be role models within the black community, whether fair or unfair, just or unjust. That's just how it is because... They are real-life superheroes to a lot of these kids. Yo, this dude came up from where I came from, and he made it. And if he's from where I'm from, why can't I do it and be like him? And this has been going on for years. When Charles Barkley said, I'm not a role model, it was a really big thing because he was saying, look, just because I'm an athlete doesn't mean I signed on to be your role model. That's, that's the parent's job. But for a lot of young kids, these are who they look up to. They look up to athletes and entertainers. When Michael Jordan said was asked about the uh, governor's race in North Carolina, his home state, when he was still playing, he said, hey, no comment because Republicans buy shoes too. You ask the black athletes political commentary because... They are the voice of the black community in many ways. It's it's no coincidence that um, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, and all those things took off and jumped during the bubble. Why NBA teams postponed games to deal with racial equality because when they step off of the court. They are no longer multimillionaire athlete. They are just a regular black person. And the police are very quick to remind them of that, particularly in situations where they do not recognize said athlete. When they recognize you, it's it's all fun and honky-dory. When they don't recognize you, you're just a regular nigga. So for Mad Dog to say, just shut up and play... It's just a corny thing to say, and you you only hear it being said to black athletes. Like, a white athlete gives an opinion on something, and nobody is ever like, yo, my nigga just shut up and throw touchdowns, or just hit home runs. But, like, just shut up and play. It, it goes back to the thing about 
we're more than just entertainers, but it feels like that's only how we're seen. Yo, shut up and dribble, shut up and play. Look, don't talk about real life issues because we don't want to hear that shit from you. We want to see your latest movie. We want to see your last home run or your touchdown celebration or that big three-pointer you hit. But don't try and expand your horizons and talk about shit that we don't think you're uh, cognitively capable of understanding. Like, don't... Just shut up and be entertainment. I refuse, and I love Draymond Green speaking out on that. Like... Yo, that shut up and dribble shit or shut up and hoop shit, it's over for that. We don't do that. We have voices. We have opinions. We're smart. We're articulate. And we have a platform. Don't ever try and marginalize us to just entertainers or or we're here for you. <clears throat> and I like the way Draymond articulated it because, like, for me, I, I, I sort of wish he would have turned up a little bit and been... Especially because they never talk to you like this when they see you. They just don't. Um, let, let's jump into some mailbag questions. This one comes from my boy Adam. Uh, what's my favorite commentator team? It's This isn't even a discussion for me. It's Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy, and Mike Breen. <clears throat> the dynamic between them it just works they like they they figured out the offense they know what spots they're supposed to be in mike breen knows when van gundy's setting them up van gundy knows when breen is setting them up the interaction between mark jackson and van gundy because they used to be player and coach is it's just gold um this comes from uh this comes from my boy Justin. Does Jordan Poole get a big bag from the Warriors? Yes. Big, big bag. Like, that that dude is up for him. When, when it's contract negotiation time, it's all the way up. Who do I believe has the ability to be a sleeper in this draft? I'm going to save this one um, because I do have some draft people coming on in the next couple weeks. And I, I want to get into this discussion with them, so I'll save that one. Boneless or bone chicken wings, it all depends on the mood. It all depends on the mood. I think overall I'm bone in, but like sometimes your boy's a little bougie. I, I can be a little high maintenance. I don't like getting my fingers sticky. Let me get the boneless joint so I can eat them with a fork. Know what I mean? Um, this is also from Justin. <clears throat> Do the Nets blow up their roster and start fresh trying to keep Katie and Kyrie happy? That's a question for Katie and Kyrie. Like, if they... The, the Nets don't have really much to blow up. What do you... What assets do you have out of Durant and Kyrie Irving? You have Seth Curry, but you need him because you need the shooting. Ideally, you want to keep Joe Harris because you want the idea of having Kyrie, Steph, Kyrie, Seth, Durant, and Harris. You have... That's four really, really elite, elite shooters. <clears throat> I think they need to upgrade the center position. I don't know how, but like the corpses of Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge aren't going to get it done. Nick Claxton is a nice player, but not... I don't know if he can be my championship level center. Uh, Drummond is cool. Like, do they, they need to make some changes, but it's tough to make changes because they've been looking to appease Durant and Kyrie. And I don't know if maybe NBA players, particularly while they're still playing, just make poor personnel decisions. Yeah, that's the whole sentence. NBA players, while they're still playing, make poor personnel decisions. Like, that money that they spent on DeAndre Jordan last summer probably could have went on, not last summer, two summers ago when they signed, probably could have went to make a more of an impactful player, but that was their guy, and they wanted him. Um, I've been thoroughly disappointed with the Nets, and they're knocked out, so I don't really want to talk about them more. 
<coughs> this is from Riley, Young Money to the Death of Us. What is an upcoming player that would be a good fit with Luka? An upcoming player that would be a good fit with Luka, I think it needs to naturally be a big... Um, I don't know. Like, everybody's under contract and the good ones are never getting away. <clears throat> but a big... Like, the, the Porzingis experiment would have been fine... But I think the ideal fit next to Luka is a kind of do-it-all forward who can really shoot it. But can't be a liability on defense. It's like I don't have a specific player in mind. I wish somebody like really popped up into my head really fast. There is a school of thought that maybe Luka could work with another guard. Like, what if you let Jalen Brown walk? I'm sorry, Jalen Brunson walk, and you try and pair Luka with Donovan Mitchell. You make a trade with the Jazz. I don't know what. Well, I guess Jalen Brunson needs to be the main asset coming back in a signing trade, <clears throat> and then you probably throw in a few picks. I don't know what. Picks they still owe to the Knicks from the Porzingis trade, but I know they owe picks. But I, I want a a four, like a stretch four. It's, it's tough. And this is something I've thought about a lot with these generational talents. When a generational talent comes to your team and you've sucked your window is a lot <clears throat> shorter than I think people initially realize. So when LeBron gets to Cleveland, he immediate, the first time, he immediately jumps them and wins. They don't make the playoffs, but they get significantly better that they don't get a high lottery pick. This is a roster that sucked the year before, and the only real changes are LeBron James and uh, Zalgu... Elgalskis is health. Uh, I, why can I not say his first name? <sighs> Jesus Christ. I just, I'm just can't make my tongue formulate the word. Eldrunus Elgalskis. Boy, am I butchering this. Holy shit. Um, Elgalskis is healthier. But, and then after that, you're in the playoffs every year. So you're no longer picking at the top. And that next year, you didn't even pick at the top because he got you to the ninth seed or whatever. So you pick, pick 10 or 14 or some bullshit. Um, same thing happened in Dallas. He immediately impacts winning and then you're no longer picking highly. So you can't get that raw talent influx anymore. Uh, Anthony Davis in new Orleans, he went from they're the first pick and like he makes them just good enough that they stop picking in the top five and that like and that's a testament to how good these guys were how uh, so quickly but i think it's something the league needs to catch up on <clears throat> you're almost better off doing what atlanta did when they got trey young they also had another high lottery pick and they'd been building because when you when you get that generational dude and all of a sudden he takes that same bum ass roster that got them the second or third pick last year and now he's the only change and now you guys are going to pick 14 you're not going to get the same influx of talent and that's something that I have thought about quite frequently that you need to realize when you get that generational talent your ability unless you have assets already in the tuck your ability to get cheap, high-level talent through the draft is really cut in half unless you draft exceptionally well later. And that's hard. So those are some of my Luka thoughts. Has Jordan Poole passed Clay in the pecking order? Right now, I think he has. I, I just think... He's just been better than Clay, So I do think he's past Clay in the pecking order. <clears throat> I don't know the ideal coach for the Nets. 
it needs to be somebody that has the respect of Durant in them and could like talk greasy to them. Like it can't be a Steve Nash or somebody like that. It needs to be like an Eric Spolstra who has the full backing of the organization or a like a Greg Popovich type. Um, Riley asked Jerry Stackhouse. I just love what Stackhouse is building at Vanderbilt. I don't know if he's the X's and O's person quite for what I think the Nets need. I think he's more of a personality manager, and that's what Steve Nash is doing. And right now, I don't think that's getting the job done. Will Golden State versus Phoenix and Miami versus the Celtics be a better series than Miami versus Bucks and Phoenix versus Grizz? So Golden State and Phoenix has to be what we want out West. Like, I just don't think there's anything. Who doesn't want Chris Paul and Steph Curry battling it out together? Draymond Green and Jay Crowder getting in each other's face. Devin Booker is a shit talker. Um, Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson. There's just so many personalities. And it's the best two teams in the West. I think that's what we need. Um... I would prefer Celtics Miami, but it looks like it's going to be Miami Bucks probably. Um I don't know, I just don't I I think Celtics Philly would be actually really fun, but I don't think Philly has I don't think Philly has enough, but maybe they do. Who's been the best role player so far in the second round of the playoffs? His name is Grant Williams of the Boston Celtics. Like, just an elite-level role player. He gives effort. He shoots the ball. He does everything you want your role players to do. Um, He sent another – Riley sent another one. I'm going to wait for this one for the offseason. This one comes from my boy Mike Wright. How do you feel about the Nets and Sixers having to pay Kyrie and Harden max money next year? Woo, do I think that is bullshit, particularly on the Harden end. I would not want to pay him max money. He doesn't look like a max player anymore. He looks like a very good basketball player, and he's in the upper echelon of the league, but he is no longer a top 10 guy, and I don't know if he's a top 15 guy right now, and I just don't want to pay that max money, especially because of the max he's eligible for. Yuck. Kyrie, you just got to pay just... And I guess you have to pay Harden because what you gave up for him. But if I was Philly and uh, Brooklyn, I wouldn't be excited about paying either of these guys the max. Like, Kyrie has just shown to be difficult, and that's a lot of money to commit to somebody that spent most of the season being a part-time basketball player and was only saved because baseball. Like, that dude wouldn't have played in some of those playoff games had baseball season not been coming back around. And then Harden, he he doesn't seem fully committed to basketball. Like, he's in that Ben Simmons mold. <clears throat> now, he works harder than Simmons and seems to love it more than Simmons does. But, like, he's also in love with the lifestyle it provides. Like, kicking it with rappers is fun to him. So I wouldn't want to be paying either of those guys max money. And the last one uh, comes from James Post, who is the guy who designed the Shaw's Law podcast logo. Um, His Instagram at is, let me actually make sure it's right, because I want to give it to you guys in case you guys want to do some work with him, because he's also, it's by J Post. B-Y-J-P-O-S-T. Definitely check out his work. Uh, he gave me a great price. You guys see the logo. It's absolutely fire. It's a year later, and I'm still absolutely in love with it. So big shout out to James Post. That's at by J Post on Instagram. And his question is, who does Jaws game remind me of? And I see a lot of Derrick Rose. Like, just from the athleticism, the way he uses spins and floaters. Like, that's who I see, because Rose was king of, I'm going to come at you really, really fast, spin off you, and then float, gang, and there's nothing you could do about it. So that was James's question. 
I'd like to tell you guys that I was late to seeing the show Peacemaker, but it's on HBO. It's dark comedy about a superhero. It's funny as all fuck. And it is just a testament to <clears throat> DC Comics still killing it on the small screen. Um, they're losing the big screen race with Marvel badly. But on the small screen, they really get shit done. And this is exciting to me uh, simply because HBO is supposed to be making a Green Lantern series. And I'm hoping and praying it's based on Jon Stewart and not Hal Jordan or... Uh, Kyle Guy, is that, Kyle Guy's an NBA player, but there's a Kyle that's a Green Lantern, and he's a douchebag, um, and if it is, it gives me hope that HBO can handle this show, I don't think it would be as dark humory, but I needed to see HBO knock another superhero show out the park how they did with Watchmen, um, guess that's everything, we're at a little bit under an hour, guys, subscriptions, tagging friends, sending mailbag questions, all that stuff is super duper appreciated. This has been the Shaw's Law Podcast. And like that, we out.